All right, our friends, we're back with another um, another episode of VA Radio. Do you have an adjective for us? I do, sir. We have another redoubtable episode <laughs> redoubtable. of VA Radio. <laughs> yes, from the ancient Mesopotamian word meaning commanding or evoking respect, reverence, or the like. Wow, wow. I thought it was like... Uh... You know, you can doubt us one more time because... <laughs> That's what I thought, too. <laughs> we're full of nonsense. Uh, I'm Kevin Oste, joined, as always, by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Hubal-Clark. And uh, uh, what uh, what the heck is going on back in the garage this time, huh? Yeah, back in the garage, the weather's finally nice. It's not a, a an icebox in here, so uh, it's this is where I like to be. Right. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Finally, the weather's breaking here in the Midwest, and uh, uh, actually drove the seventy Riv today for a little while. Nice, yeah, very nice. Always kind of have that. Uh, I mean, I, I get to drive it every once in a while, but I always make the list. You know, as soon as you get behind the wheel, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot that wheel bearings making noise, and <laughs> yeah, I got to do an yeah. oil change, and this weather strip mm-hmm. is coming apart, and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. So the uh, list is ever growing, but that's okay. That's why we do this but- stuff. Part of the joys of classic car ownership. That's right. They never keep you bored. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah, yeah. So we typically start this show with a uh, trivia question in which uh, we uh, we stump each other's uh, chumps, respectively. <laughs> 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 and you had alerted me uh, that you had one. Yes. In fact, your text was, I have a good trivia question, not some BS <laughs> off-the-wall nonsense either. Exactly. Which, which effectively put me on notice, I think. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, I, I, found it pr- I found it pretty interesting, so I wanted to, to throw it out there. All right. So were, were you suggesting that my questions are off no, the wall no, nonsense? No, no, no. I, I, I'm talking only about me, man. <laughs> only about me. <laughs> not the kind of crap that you put out. <laughs> right. I got not a good drivel that everyone else has to listen to. To. Mm-hmm. But mine's good stuff. All right. Well, Mr. Good Stuff, why don't, why don't you go first? All right. Well, let's do it. Okay. Uh, Kevin, if you happen to be a GI in the mid-60s and wanted to uh, say you were stationed in Germany and uh, you heard about this really cool new car called the Mustang from Ford and you wanted to buy one. However, if you found, if you try to buy a Mustang in Germany, you'd be buying a, uh, a commercial vehicle. Uh, as another company called uh, Krupp Motren und Kraftwagenfabriken <laughs> had owned the rights to the name Mustang. So, in order for Ford to sell that in Germany, what did they call the Mustang in Germany? Yeah, that is a, a great question because um, you're right. They didn't have the, the access to the name. And, and I'd also heard that uh, Ford kind of rationalize that a little bit by potentially suggesting that the idea of the wild Mustang horse might not have resonated with the, the European market gotcha. as well. Although I certainly think it would have, you know. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so I, I knew the name at one point, and it's it's something like the T2 or the uh the TKO or, or not the TKO? It, it, it's uh, <laughs> no, no. It, it, I believe it's a, a letter number combination. It's not really a name. Hmm. Uh, I'm just trying to remember what they are. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah, that that's that's the root of your no that's why we're BS, here, right? Not off the wall nonsense question. <laughs> uh, man, what the heck was it? These are the aggravating ones because I knew this, right? I'm just to to keep our listener. Uh, from going out of his own mind. <laughs> I'm just going to say the, oh man, what am I going to call this? Because I, I know, uh, you know, in Europe they use a lot of acronyms that mean stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. the the sister company of, of Ford being Mercury, you know, in the 80s right. you could buy an XR4TI and right. there was an XR series uh, a four-cylinder turbo intercool. So all, everything had a, had a or injected it wasn't a cool injection so uh oh man i i know why it is i don't know what it is so i'm just mm. gonna call it the the uh the t i know it could be an, i could call it the you know the the fu at this point it really <laughs> it's a letter number so, so the m1 is what i'm going to call it but the m1 yeah but please give me a little uh credit at the end because i know why but i don't know what uh-huh. all right so kevin is going the bmw route and saying m1 yeah but that's not what it is it's, i think it's got a t in it I guess we'll find out. Yes, Kevin, we'll find out at the end of the show. <laughs> if it comes to me, I'm going to blurt it out halfway through, but okay. I, d- I doubt right. it. All right. All right. All right. Well, I guess uh, I'll reciprocate with a trivia question. All right. Let's have it. Um, How do I phrase this? Because there's many potential trivia questions in this. Oh, boy, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I guess uh, I guess we'll say that uh, General Motors was the, the first company to offer an automatic uh, high-beam dimming system on their cars. Automatic high-beam dimming system, okay. Right, and this is a safety and courtesy feature. As yeah, you're yes. motoring down the highways and byways of the world, somebody and you got your high beams on because it's dark. As somebody right. approaches you, it senses that and dims the lights. So we can make this a three-parter. Oh, aren't you kind? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm trying to th- like I said. There's many ways to do this. We'll we'll do one one actual and two bonus. Wh- whichever way twists the knife deeper, <laughs> yeah. we'll go with that one. All right. Well, this is purely because I'm so frustrated about the German Herr Mustang. That is, uh, so, what was the first year for this technology in a General Motors product? That's, that's the question. And the All bonus right. is, uh, what was the name of it? And oh, wow. the name changed... And what did it become? <laughs> you got it. Come on. Those are just bonus. You don't have to get Well, to, to, to steal your phrase, Kevin, you suck out loud. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. I'll tell you one better. You get, right. you get any one of the three right, you win. How about that? Oh, all right. That's the kind okay. of guy I am. 
You're you're quite the giver. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, auto headlight dimming, high beam dimming technology in GM cars. I'll say it started. It, it, it debuted in nineteen. 19- 94. Wow. 94. 94. It was a good year. Yeah, I'll for, say for I'll, I'll, I'll say it came in on Cadillacs is what I, was is what I'm going to hmm. guess. I mean, that's not part of the question, but adding your own potential bonus. Yeah, add my own leverage. little extra credit. <laughs> See, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> well, I did the Well, same you thing. were right about Cadillac, Mike. Yeah. Um, and it was called the it was called the. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. I don't feel so bad. Yeah. Uh, we'll say it was called Auto High Beam Dimmer. All right. <laughs> and then it was changed to Safety Dim. Oh, good. Ooh, nice. Gr- like good that. gravy. All right. Uh, auto high beam yeah. dimmer. T- tap it in there, buddy. In tap 1994, it in. and then it changed to safety dim. Yeah. And how would you spell that? Is it like the Pontiac thing where it's safe <laughs> dash T dash dim? Yeah, sure, sure. Right, right, if, sure. If, if, if that gets me closer, then we'll say yeah. Right. I like that. Well, GM yeah. was known for making up words like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Posse traction. Yeah. Sure grip. Well, that was a, a Chrysler thing. Uh. <clears throat> so I digress. And you said the Cadillac as just a fun, mm-hmm. fun extra. little tidbit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Okay. You know, I noticed that bits only come in tids. You know, you can have a tidbit, but you can't <laughs> let, have like a tid part or a tid, a tid section. Bite. Yeah, a tid bite. It's yeah. only a bit. Tidbit. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. That's noted, and uh, mm-hmm. we, we apologize for everybody who's listening, because yeah. this, is, this is agony yeah. even for us. Yeah, 10 <laughs> minutes to get through this damn trivia question. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, I was reflecting on, uh, on the last trivia question, which was about the stoplight in Cleveland, Ohio. Yes, sir. Uh, when I was in Ohio this past week. Oh, right. Yes, yes. And uh, had a, a tremendous visit uh, to Forge Line Motorsports. That's, yes, yes. Yeah, we saw that picture of you holding that giant, what was that, a 20-inch rim up, holding up with one, one arm? Yes, that was a, a 20 by 12 and a half carbon fiber Oof. rim barrel. And it, the, the manufacturer claims that they are laughably light because you pick it up and you laugh. You go, oh man, <laughs> this thing doesn't weigh anything. That's nice, and it was uh, it was an amazing, amazing visit, and and uh, and I'll tell you why. Lay it on me, yeah, yeah, because you're sitting over there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So what I learned about uh, Forge Line Motorsports is there is, and, and in full disclosure, they the reason why I was there is because they they hired our video production team to help them create some videos to help tell their story about the company and also about some of the wheels and about the process and uh, things they're going to use in, in commercials and social media and stuff like that. We, we do a lot of uh, video production for companies that are not just us. And, mm. uh, and I always enjoy doing that because um, 
they chose us because we are a forge line wheel uh, dealer at, at our sh- our own shop. We've built several cars using forge line wheels. We know their product pretty well, um, but we're also a, an automotive genre production company. So if they if they would have hired some guy with a camera down the street that normally does other stuff, you know, they might mm-hmm. not get the message as well as yeah as we do because we're car guys, you know. So right, and that's that's hard to find in the TV world. Yeah, you um, don't necessarily want to hire a wedding uh, videographer to right. do their forge line wheel spots. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, you know, and, and nothing against it. that. That's one of the cool things about the business is if you're in a, a video production business, <clears throat> you get to be exposed to a lot of different kinds of things. You know, true, um, true. And and we've done stuff for uh, a local landscaping company and and i've certainly Mm -hmm. shot weddings in the past and i I look at those as kind of fun exercises to get outside the box Um, but in this case it was it was full attention at at forge line um and this conversation that we're having is is not part of what they hired me for i'm just telling you this because i think it's cool right uh this isn't a placement or anything you know this is uh Uh this is organic so Mm -hmm. the the of the zillion things that i I learned and I really uh, admire about this company is so many people have seen forge line wheels on, you know, pro touring cars on the street and, uh, you know, at uh, racetrack events. And um, you you wonder, you know, like what's the deal, you know, because Mm -hmm. you can buy wheels from any number of different companies and I'm not saying any are better or worse than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the forge line brand is, is very popular in the high performance world. And, and what I learned is the story of how this company came to be. And the short version is that, uh, there's two brothers today that, that run the company, uh, Steve and Dave Shard and their father's involved and, and their father used to work at GM in Ohio. And at some point, learned that the Dayton Wire Wheel Company, which you're undoubtedly familiar with. No, absolutely. You know, anything with wires since 1914, you know, uh-huh. chances are it's Dayton. Oh, uh, right on. Uh, so at one point, and I'm not 100% sure on the date, but years ago, the Dayton Wire Wheel Company was in financial trouble. So uh the Shard brothers, their, their, their dad actually went to the local bank and said, uh, I understand Dayton Wire Wheel's in trouble. And he was looking to get away from having a, a day job with, with GM. And he said, what's their problem? And, and the bank actually said, well, they, they, they've got cash flow problems. They got creditors that they owe. They've got some supply problems, you know, t- typical things that can happen to a business, uh, especially when the market is getting soft on their product. And, and just like a, you know, an American fairy tale, he went and negotiated with the bank and with all the creditors and wow. obtained the company. Get and, out of here. Yeah, and, and and brought it back to a level of success. And his two sons were young at the time, Steve and Dave, and they both uh-huh. grew up working at Dayton Wire Wheel. So these are young guys now who are learning how to re-spoke a wheel, how to assemble a spoked wheel, how to true a rim, how to make a rim, how to straighten them, how to chrome plate them, how to wow. polish them. You know, how to do colors, how to do everything about the wheel business, sizing, fitment, uh, uh, you know, learning about the strength of wire wheels. Because back then, I mean, there were indie cars that raced 
on Dayton Wire Wheels. Uh, and these were the, you know, one of the premier wow. wheel companies in the world. I, I did so not know this. There was a racing background there, too. And, and Steve mm-hmm. and Dave grew up because their dad also liked racing. So, so they grew up uh, on the racetrack. Uh, first it, with you know go karts and and racing each other, but then uh, racing uh, uh, Yanko Stinger Corvair on, wow. on road courses. <laughs> yeah, killer. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they pointed out that if you can uh, if you can if you can race a Yanko Stinger Corvair, you can drive just about anything because I would agree with that. The balance is a little different and everything else. So time goes by, and uh, so they realized that there was a hole in the market for an American made truly custom racing wheel okay so by this time they're they're getting into racing bigger series and v8 cars and well, i guess maybe porsche 944s and stuff like that so so still some import you know four-cylinder cars but uh you could get racing wheels out of italy or you could get them you know like bbs wheels in europe but there was nothing made here in the u.s huh. so they set out to make an all-american racing wheel uh and one that was designed to be raced primarily uh and then if you wanted to drive it on the street that's fine but this was supposed to be a racing forged aluminum wheel Mm -hmm. so they they launched the uh uh, the forge line brand they came up with the name forge line because forging had to be part of the it's the first name you know right and the the reason why everything is forged and, and the way forging works is you can you can melt aluminum and pour it into a mold and that's a casting. Right. Uh, but I don't know if you you remember the I always think of the old uh, commercial for uh, oh I don't know what candy bar it was but they would snap the candy bar in half and you would see little air bubbles inside. Oh yeah, you know when they when they melted it. Well, that's what happens with the casting is you have little bubbles and pockets and porosity in the casting so by by forging it what you do is you start with a casting and then you smash it essentially under high amounts of pressure or weight and it it pushes all the molecules together and and on a on a bigger scale it squeezes out all those air bubbles so you have more material in the same space Right. Uh, but it, it also kind of aligns the grain of the material so that it becomes stronger by design as well. So they made what they call a race spec wheel. And at that point, I don't know if it was a two-piece or a, a three. I think it was a two-piece where they were welding the center into the barrel. Uh, eventually, they got away from that. And now they do a one-piece and a three-piece. But at the end of the day, um, they were successful in making these race spec Wheels, and I, I asked him, "What's a what's a race spec wheel? You know, what does that even mean?" It's uh, a good question. To us, a wheel's a wheel, and he said, "Well, here's the deal. What we looked at was, in order to design a, a, a spec wheel for a, a racing class, they, they looked at the series that the car was going to be raced in. Uh, they looked at the weight of the car, then they looked at the power level of the car, then they looked at the allowable wheel and tire size, mm-hmm. then they looked at the friction coefficient of the tire." Uh, for that particular class. Then they looked at the size of the brakes to see what would fit in there and then designed something strong enough that would fit in all those parameters and not fail, right? Right. Yeah, sure. So this is truly, you know, designed for that particular series. And then they would name the wheel based on that series. And Forge Line has kind of a unique naming system. So th- th- if it was designed for the trans 
the Grand Am series would be a GA, and if it was a three piece, it'd be a GA three, and it was okay. a first design GA three one, you know, okay. whatever. Um, and then they put a, a high quality finish on the wheel as well um, to protect it, and also so that when people saw them, they would say, "Hey, that that looks nice," you know. Also, mm-hmm. uh, so so now this the story is filling out that these are two guys that grew up racing that are designing racing wheels that are tested. Uh, today, everything is designed in-house with, uh, with finite element analysis engineering done. So it's, it's tested before it's built. It's tested after it's built. These wheels perform, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that they, they look awesome with their, their finishes they apply is, is kind of, it's just as important, but it's a secondary function. And right. as they worked with different racing series, they designed new wheels to fit those different specs. So they did some for the Trans Am series. They did some for the World Challenge series, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the Corvette racing and all that stuff. Right. So people caught on and started running them on streetcars that they were autocrossing or weekend warrior type uh, okay. uh, uh, road racing. And, and as these... You know, the cars that we've put them on, coincidentally, most of them have been 69 Camaros that have all been supercharged. <laughs> you know, so right like the ZR9 Cor- or Camaro that we did, the loose change Camaro, and, and we've yep. got this silver 69 in the shop right now getting the LT4 motor. Uh, they've all got forge lines, and some of those were style motivated and association motivated. Like, you know, you want okay. the car to look racy, so you put the racy parts on it. Sure. But sure. at the end of the day, we don't have to worry at all that that customer can go track that car with those wheels and they're, they're there, you know, they're, they're Mm -hmm. not going to be a weak link on this, uh, on this package. Right. And so, so the design and the, the, the company history is fascinating. The next thing that I thought was really, really cool is the manufacturing of the wheels. Right. That's right. That's what I like to see. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, the plant is in Dayton, Ohio and everything, is us done so and it's it's very simple and very smart um so their designs and and when i say simple i'm not saying easy but i'm saying it it, they've taken complexities out of this stuff Mm -hmm. so they come up with a wheel design and they have an in-house guy uh engineer who designs it on screen and solidworks and creates the the face design Mm -hmm. these guys don't own the forge uh, so okay. they, they bring those in, but it's an American supplier that supplies the barrels and, uh, an American supplier that supplies what I'll call the blank forgings that become the center. Okay. And when those two pieces arrive at forge line, uh, they, they match the, the barrel and the center to the customer's order for size and, and mm-hmm. style. The barrel goes through a process of getting machined to look nicer um, or if it's polished, they come in polished. The wheel center goes through a multi-step machine process using American-made CNC machines uh, to uh, refine that uh, that forged aluminum center into a stylized wheel face. Okay. You know? sure. and, and those operations are cool. They spin it, then they put it in this uh, uh, five-axis CNC machine that, that carves out the design. Um, and then when it comes out of that, there's a hand operation uh, of a grinding room. And you've got these guys who are just incredible craftsmen that are taking that center and using air-powered die grinders and little tools to, to deburr 
the spokes and and take any flashing off or anything that the CNCs didn't catch. And in okay. some some cases, some of these wheels, when you look at them, the if it's a spoked wheel, the spoke design is very very intricate, where it's like an I beam shaped spoke. It's just not like a a rectangular oh, thing. I got you. As you turn it and look closely at it, you can see there's concaves and and little. Uh, faces of the spokes uh-huh. and some of that stuff is done by hand on the in the grinding room uh, and especially if that finish choice at the end is going to be a transparent powder coat where you're supposed to see like a brushed line come through it like a brushed aluminum right. appearance those are done by hand so these guys are doing wow oh yeah yeah they're doing cosmetic work in that grinding room as well huh once the center is ground, um, and, and at every station it's checked for you know to make sure it's still a, a proper shape and it's true and all that stuff. Right. Uh, but then it's it's cleaned. Uh, they they have a, a powder coating facility in house, and they clean all the machining oil off of everything, and then it goes to powder coating, uh, and they have a, a a proprietary process to get these things clean so that their powder coating is show quality you know and and, and nice. absolutely phenomenal yeah. and they've got a book of standard colors that they offer but they also work with uh, another company that can supply absolutely any powder that's available in any color nice. you want and uh for example we used on the lose change camaro we had a a, a brushed aluminum barrel the wheel rim itself right. was brushed well that sure. whole brush operation is done by hand wow uh, oh it's perfect looking and you would think yeah. there was some big thing that they'd put it in and and a big drum sander would you know no, no it's all done by right. hand huh. um and after the the wheels are powder coated then they go to the assembly table and and one guy puts every every single wheel together himself wow and Jeez. there's a minimum of 40 arp fasteners that bolt the the two barrels in a three piece with the center yeah. uh, together, and if you can imagine a racing wheel, it, there's a there's a possibility it's going to get damaged. Uh, it's either going to get scratched up or you're going to leave the raceway and you know hit a uh, you know off track, whatever. Right, something tweak the wheel up. Yep, yep, and you yep. could bend it or something. So they're all designed to be disassembled and repaired. Wow, so that's, that's you, pretty slick. You can unbolt these wheels, and now if you're thinking like I was, I, I'm think, hearing the story, and I'm like, well, this is an aluminum center, and it's a stainless fastener. Aluminum and stainless don't really get along right? because they'll gall and, mm-hmm. and they'll ruin threads. Well, they've got that covered because every one of these centers have helicoil inserts threaded into them. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be darned. You know, so you can, oh, man. So you can take them apart and, and put them back together repeatedly and not yeah. you know change the strength of the wheel or or ruin any threats yeah. so there's a kind of a neat process where the assembly guy lays the barrel down and the face down and the the fasteners and kind of picks up the center so most of their wheel designs have what they call blind fasteners so when you look at it from mm-hmm. the front you don't see any bolts you look mm-hmm. from the back and that's where all the bolts come in so they kind of build them backwards um okay once he gets it tightened up uh each fastener is torqued properly. Then it gets spun on a, a Hunter digital uh, wheel mount machine to make sure it's still, you know, the, the front barrel and the rear barrel are lined up and everything. Uh, then they, they, they run a bead of silicone around it to uh, uh, make sure it doesn't leak at the two barrel junctions. Mm-hmm. And then they get boxed up and they get shipped out. So, so there's every kind of neat process 
you can imagine between the the 3D digital design, the uh, uh, 3D CNC machine process, then a craftsman hand process, then the powder yeah. coat process, then the assembly by hand. Um, and so none of their wheels are welded anymore because they're all the three piece are bolted together. Okay. Uh, and then they do a one piece monoblock wheel, which comes in looking like, you know, if you take the cap off of an aerosol can, yeah, you, you know, a tall plastic cap. Sure. Im- imagine that twenty inches around. Oh uh, boy. That's what the one piece wheel looks like when they come in, and the whole thing is machined at once. So Jeez. the back side of the barrel, the front side of the face, because there's no parts that it's all one piece. It's a monoblock. Uh, those come in at 120 pounds of aluminum and they machine off like 80, 90 pounds of chips (laughs) to, to make the final wheel. Wow. I hope they recycle. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they've got these (laughs) conveyor belts of aluminum going out to recycle outside of the machines and everything. Yeah. It, it sounds like they, they really have a lot of attention to detail when they design and, and manufacture these wheels. And, uh, uh, back to where you're saying they, they come and they get these blank hoops in. So I imagine when a customer orders these, I mean, I'm sure they have standard uh, offsets and backspaces that they offer, but a customer can call in and say, hey, I would I would like, you don't offer a like a five-inch uh, backspace. Can I get this, you know, 12-inch wide wheel with a seven-inch backspace and, and this much of an offset? And, and, they, and they could do that. Exactly. Right? Every single wheel is custom. Gotcha. There's nothing on the shelf. There is no oh, inventory. Wow. Made Oof. to order every single All month. just-in-time shipment. Well, and uh, so that, that's a great point, is the wheel industry is notorious for delays. Uh, if you order a set of custom, especially custom wheels, if it's an off-the-shelf wheel, you know, you might wait a couple of weeks. Some places might have them in stock. But when you're going to order something custom, you know, we're hearing lead times of, of uh, 14 weeks you know uh uh, three and four month lead time and and some of that is because the custom wheel manufacturers uh do different parts of the process themselves and other companies do different parts so what forge line tries to do is they preload their materials so they've got tons and tons of barrels and rims and Mm -hmm. centers that is kind of their inventory i see so that when you order, chances are um, they can, as soon as the machines are finishing up the existing runs, they can mm-hmm. pull the raw material off the shelf and make yours. You. And then so they'll they, keep the components in stock right. and then fit made, everything is made to order. Right. And, gotcha. you know, they, you know, we're, we're discussing some availability turnaround times and it's based on certain races because 50 percent of their market is still racing uh oh, good. So- solid yeah yeah uh the other 50 percent being the street market and they were they were talking about how if there's a big race coming up they'll get a spike because guys want wheels they want them repaired whatever uh but they can turn wheels around in three four five weeks uh pretty consistently as opposed to two or three months uh, like a lot of others, because they manage <laughs> that material load. Uh, and then, like you're saying, um, uh, part of the challenge is knowing what to buy 
because mm. wheels are are tricky, especially when you're starting from a blank sheet with every one. Right. So you can call them and say, hey, I got a uh, 67 GTO that I'm building and I want to put 18s and 19s on it, you know, and I, I like this particular series because they're different series yeah. and styles. Can you tell me what's going to fit? Yeah. And they have that info. Do they? Uh, yeah. They'll ask you what breaks. They'll ask you what your usage, because they they might say, well, you like this particular series, but it's designed for Miata spec racing and okay. your GTO weighs a lot more. Uh-huh. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> you, you need to be in this series over here. All right. Um, and then if you if you don't know, uh, they can send you templates and stuff and, and have you measure and, and they're willing to uh, hold your hand on all that stuff because um, nobody wants to get custom wheels wrong. Oh boy, howdy. Because they're made for that application, you know. But yeah. the good side is that say something is off, um, you can unbolt the center and put it in a different barrel gotcha. and correct that. Um and what they find is they've, they've got repeat customers who it's like every year they want to change something. So they'll send the wheels back, have them unbolt them, strip them, repowder coat uh-huh. them a different color, you know, huh. and put them back together and send them back, you know. Okay. Uh, so you can do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe they want to change the center. Or they can send it back and say, I want this center in here now rather than the one we have. And I wanted this color and then... Yeah, and and yeah. Uh, I I think when it comes to just swapping centers out, depending on the other specs on the wheel, it, it might be more prudent to get just a new wheel. But if mm. you're going to change that, send your wheel in and get your wheel back. Just have it you know change colors or get straightened mm. or something. You know they they do it all the time. Uh, right and on. another neat thing is they they also mount tires too. So what what we have challenges with is. You know, we're talking about some expensive wheels, um, mm-hmm. and, and having, having gone through this process now, I, I understand and respect why. You know, it's because they're they're done right, and there's a lot to it, and they're all hand done. It's not like this push the button and it cranks out you know a hundred sets. Right. Um, so when you get them, you got to choose your tire mounter carefully. Uh-huh. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, they scratched it! Right, right. And and typically, we're talking about an oversized diameter wide wheel, mm-hmm. which means it's going to be a skinny sidewall, high performance tire, yep. so, which gets more challenging to mount with every one of these variables thrown in. I believe uh, it. Yeah, and and you got to work with somebody who's got a, a machine that isn't going to mar up that finish or mm-hmm. or scratch it. So, but today. Now you can have your tires sent to them, or you can get tires. They got an arrangement with your tire rack, so you can pick tires and wheels, and then they'll mount them. And the shipping bill is going to be a little bit more, but that tire is actually going to protect that wheel in shipping. True. True. And you know it's done Real right. Good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that that's a heck of a service. Um, but the picture that you saw was holding the carbon wheel, right? So that's the next yeah. generation, and. I thought I knew a little bit about this stuff. And, you know, as typical, I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but so how that story came to be is in a parallel universe to the Shard brothers who grew up racing and grew up around wheels their whole life, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. a a gentleman named Colin Snyder. And Colin is a a younger guy, but he he grew up racing go-karts and stuff, and he was part of the Formula SAE program um, in Kansas. And what that Formula SAE is a college engineering level 
racing series where big engineering schools compete against each other. Oh, and, sweet. And the engineers uh, uh, build the cars themselves. So our, our mutual friend Paul was at the U of I Formula SAE program many years ago. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I did uh, not know that. Yep. And, uh, and this gentleman, Colin, was on the SAE team. And he was looking at the wheels of the, of the cart that they raced. And they were aluminum. And he thought, you know, I bet we could save a bunch of weight if we made these in carbon. So he took it upon himself to make a set of carbon fiber cart wheels. And they raced them, and the thing acted totally different. It was really? just a huge improvement over, yeah. over the uh, aluminum wheel. Ooh. So uh, Colin actually came out um, from and was on site at forge line and interviewed him too about his whole process and and what what's the deal you know because carbon fiber is a technology that's been around for a while and it's a mm-hmm. typically a woven um material of of carbon filaments little tubes basically mm-hmm. that you immerse in a resin um kind of like fiberglass and then mold it into a shape and mm-hmm. then you put it in uh uh, what they call an autoclave, which is like a vacuum bag that mm-hmm. sucks all the air out. Uh, and then when it hardens, right. you take it out of the mold and you've got your part. And the you don't see carbon wheels. You see carbon wings. You see mm-hmm. carbon prosthetics, you know, legs yeah. and stuff. You right. see carbon fiber body panels and, and uh, accessories, but you don't really see wheels. And there's a reason for that, and it's because it's super, super hard to do. <laughs> okay. And what 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 Colin noticed, and, and so Colin got a uh, an engineering degree, um, and then he went to work for a couple um, companies that do big league composites. He worked for an aircraft company. He worked for a uh, defense company. He was gleaning as much as he could with a life goal, truly, of making carbon wheels. Huh. He is so focused. This this is what this guy wants to do. He doesn't want to make carbon fiber keychains or airplane parts. <laughs> wheels is what he wants to make. All right. And he's convinced that uh, the entire we- world will be rolling on carbon fiber wheels at some point because of the benefits of the wheel. So I first saw the Carbon Forge line, they call it the Carbon Forge series, uh, at SEMA last year. And I thought, oh, that looks great. Oh, I bet it's light. This is all I know, you know. Uh-huh. Well, it turns out that a, a woven carbon material doesn't work for a wheel. It's not strong hmm. enough. Um, and the strength that they were uh, having problems with, uh, and the Shard Brothers at Forge line had experimented with carbon wheels and they could get the, the the overall strength to be strong enough to where it would handle like impact going on the road where they were having problems is as soon as you put the tire on it and inflate the tire and it seats on the bead mm-hmm. it would literally blow the wheel apart really because that is a i guess that's a tension be a t- tensile tensile strength right versus compression strength right yeah. and the material wasn't strong enough to hold itself together Oh, I'll be done. So they kind of gave up on it. And and the other challenge that, that Forge Line had is, remember, their stuff is uh, modular, so they have interchangeable right. barrels and faces. Well, how do you have that with a carbon wheel, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what Colin figured out is instead of using a, uh, a weave, 
he used a um, a carbon braid, so it's a different. Oh, right. It's almost, I don't want to call it a rope, but it's a ropier kind of braid, uh, okay. which which changes the angles on a on a carbon weave. It's a forty five or a ninety degree angle of the weave yeah, on the like braid. That. Everything's intertwined together. Sure. Right, and it's stronger. Yeah. So. Yeah. This guy has proprietary patented technology on his resins. That he made his own resins because they had Jeez. to be a certain strength. He's got design patents on the whole thing and uh, came up with the barrel. And just like the aluminum version for Forge Line, there is a flange towards the front outside of the wheel that they drill and bolt a face to. Really? So now it's the same design philosophy as what ForgeLine does, uh, because you can. So, so the Collins started a company called Emergent Technology, Emergent Carbon Wheels, I guess. And all Emergent does is make the barrel. And it's right. a it's a great story because Colin wanted to work with ForgeLine. Oh, nice. He's got he had this. this you got to hand it to him. He's got his missions. I'm going to make yeah. these wheels. I'm going to work with ForgeLine. So in order to approach them, he got a SEMA display booth, which costs a lot of money. And, mm-hmm. and he had some grant money and some, I guess, some investment cash to get this company off the ground. But he thought to himself, if I have a booth, I'm different from a guy that's just walking up with a wheel saying, hey, you know, the old traveling salesman, yeah. the suitcase and a wheel. <laughs> right. Uh, so it gives a little air of legitimacy to him. Yes. Um, and it worked because mm-hmm. the, the Shard brothers walked by and they saw this display and they went, wow, that, that's pretty neat. And it looks like it might fit our process. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so Colin approached him and said, hey, guys, um, I'm Colin. This is my carbon wheel. This is what I've done to develop this. We've done non-destructive testing. We've done engineering on it. It's proprietary stuff. And, and uh, you know, we think it's kind of neat. Well, ForgeLine, uh, Steve and, and uh, Dave said, we really want this, and we we're not saying we want to be exclusive because you know maybe that's not fair, but maybe we can work something out where we get it first, and mm. then and then the rest of the world gets it later. So uh, Colin went for it, and that's how that marriage came to be, right? Sweet. So eventually, Emergent will be supplying barrels to other companies, but right now uh-huh. it's it's through Forge Line, and. The fun thing was, is once they got the uh, uh, agreement going, ForgeLine applied their 25 years of, of ForgeLine professional wheel engineering to the barrel and said, yeah, this might not work and this might not work, but if we tune it up a little bit, we'll get there. Uh-huh. So so they did some design revisions and, and ended up getting there. Uh, and cool. now, now you can buy these wheels. Now, the benefits are that, A, it's lighter, but but... Uh, B, it's so on, on a twenty on that big twenty inch wheel that I was holding. Once yeah. it's assembled with the aluminum face, it weighs like half of what the aluminum one does, Jeez. and it is far stronger at the barrel than the aluminum. And people have a hard time understanding the carbon is stronger and lighter, um, right? So it it delivers both. Well, well, why does that matter? Well, at the wheel side, you have what is known as the unsprung mass. Right, and this is your control arms, your spindle, your caliper, mm-hmm. uh, brake hardware, and of course the wheel and tire. And <clears throat> these are riding on the ground, and then the springs are supporting the car. Well, as you go down the road, 
if there's a disturbance in the road and you have a high sprung or unsprung mass, uh, the inertia that is in the, the weight of the wheel and everything is hard to move and right. put back where you wanted it to go after you go over a bump, right? So you can envision, uh, you know, the in the gym you got the heavy bag and you got the speed bag. Mm-hmm. You know, if the heavy bag is a is a, a heavy wheel and the speed bag is a light wheel, you punch that heavy bag, it doesn't fly across the room. It has right. inertia; it stays in place. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how it is with your wheel and tire. Now, if you make that half the the mass, right? You hit that bump, boom! That suspension system can react mm-hmm. quickly because it doesn't have to overcome all that inertia, and then it goes back into position. Well, why does that matter? Well, that matters because as you hit a disturbance in the road surface, you lose traction. Mm-hmm. Lose traction, you lose control. So it's all about keeping control of the vehicle, and especially in a race car, but even a, a regular driver. So, so that's the first one. The next one that I thought was pretty cool is that inertia also applies to steering the car. So now your steering system takes less horsepower, if you will, and leverage to be able to turn the wheels left to right. Right. And if you design the whole car, well, maybe you can take some of the robustness and weight out of the steering components themselves because you don't need something as strong to turn the wheels. Right. And the same Mm -hmm. way with the suspension, if you don't need to control if you don't need to control all that mass, you can have a lighter spring rate, you can change the shock and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So then the, the third one I thought was pretty cool is the, the polar moment of inertia, and that is the spinning inertia. So he, Colin came up with a neat demo where they, they mounted two hubs on a stand, and they had a traditional wheel and then a carbon wheel, and they wrap a fishing string around each one with a fishing weight. And the goal here is that you, you release the weight and the gravity pulls the weight down, which turns the wheel, right? Okay. On the carbon wheel, a small little fishing weight, you drop it and all of a sudden the wheel spins and then the weight hits the ground. On a, on a heavier wheel, you let go of the weight, it doesn't do anything. That uh-huh. weight does not have enough uh, energy to overcome the inertia of that wheel. Right. So now it's easier to spin these wheels to get them going, uh-huh. and sure. it's far easier to stop them mm-hmm. and keep them from spinning. So now your brakes don't work as hard, and your car will accelerate faster because you don't have to overcome all this inertia. There's less mass to overcome, right. Right. And, and, and another characteristic of the carbon is that it's a little bit compliant, it's a little bit resilient. I don't want to say it flexes, but there's a comfort factor as well. Um, and on a, on a safety thing, they, they sent me a, a, a destructive test where they took a, a 2,100-pound weight and dropped it, essentially, on a wheel and tire that's inflated. And on the aluminum one, the rim actually bent a little bit, you know, deformed mm. slightly, uh, which eventually would lead to a failure. The carbon one, the weight bounced, and, and wow. it didn't even care. And they said that when mm. these carbon wheels fail, so you hit a giant pothole or wreck a car or whatever, it doesn't instantly bend and stay bent it will uh it'll it'll change shape kind of come back but Uh it will slowly lose air and eventually go flat but you get to retain control much longer i see so if you have a an incident at speed you can you know you know you hit that bump you know you hit the brakes and by the time you stop you know maybe you got a few more minutes and then it goes flat okay 
So, huh. yeah, right. All That's this good safety. It is. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's very uh, intriguing to to see what they've learned, and then on the manufacturing side, Porsche, even Ford now has a carbon fiber wheel on the on the Shelby GT three hundred and fifty R Mustang. Do but they? It, they do. Um, but they're also Ford Motor Company, so they they've got a lot of resources to make stuff. I see. And theirs, the entire wheel is essentially one molded piece of carbon fiber. So the the rim, the face. Now, if you're a custom wheel manufacturer, that would mean if you want a smaller diameter, you have to make another mold. Right. If you want to make a different style, you make another mold. You want another width, you make another mold, which becomes cost prohibitive from a a custom manufacturing standpoint because you got to engineer every one of those molds and blah, blah, blah. So the beauty there, again, gets back to that modular design concept, the forge line. So Emergent can make however many different barrel sizes, which is far easier, and then Forgeline does their face, and then you're good to go. Uh, the downside, boy, are they expensive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was wondering if we were going to get to that part. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's part of it, you know, and, and uh, they, they don't make any bones <clears throat> about it. I mean, they, everybody knows these are expensive wheels. Well, um, I mean, come on. It's a, it's a newer technology. It's, it, it has to be until it's, until it's a bit more prevalent. There's more out there. Right, you yeah. Know, these things start, need to start paying for themselves. And yeah, so, I mean, you're, you're talking like 15, 16 grand for a set of four wheels. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't think it was that <laughs> expensive. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, Boy, howdy. Yeah, and to a guy like you and I, it's like, that's insane. But yeah. if you are a uh, uh, somebody of the caliber that can do that, they see the value. And they, they the value is being recognized because they're selling the wheels. Mm-hmm. And, and you have people... Uh, in fact, uh, Forge Line was just at, at Barrett-Jackson in Florida, and they were being approached... Because they were doing some theatrics with the the wheel that that I was holding, oh, yeah. you know, kind of juggling them around, and in fact, throwing it on the ground and bouncing it, you know, and not huh. not hurting it. And you can imagine what a uh, sideshow that was kind of creating mm-hmm. people checking it out. And and you know, the, the the one factor we didn't talk about on the carbon is the appearance. The appearance is insane. You you look at it, um, and and I made the distinction that the wheel is very precise. The rim is precise, it's true, it's round, it's got holes in it, you know, for the face. Uh, it's a very man-made, precise-looking thing. The braided carbon, because you can see through the resin, you see the fibers, is very organic-looking, because those braids do what they want to do when you put it in the mold. I mean, they, they, they align to a certain degree, but it, it looks like a snakeskin kind of in there. Oh, really? So there's this, this awesome, intriguing combination of unnatural and and man-made and organic uh-huh. appearance um and the, the the weaves catch the light in a certain way where they kind of do a dance and so oh, it's neat. a it's a beautiful beautiful thing uh and people were looking at that across the room and then they're they're seeing that it's strong and everything else and and people would ask you know well you know i need to set how much are they and they would tell them <laughs> you know they're you know fifteen sixteen thousand dollars and they had a lot of people who said well i just spent you know, twelve or fourteen grand on a set of custom aluminum wheels. You know, for what? for my Ferrari or for my oh. you know for whatever because uh, yeah. that that's in that market. You know, and they huh. said for another couple, I could have bought these. You're kidding me. So huh. so 
that was also intriguing to me because I'm not in that universe. Um, no, I'm I'm not even I'm nowhere near that universe, man. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think I own a outside of our truck. I don't think I own a car that's worth that at this point. Uh, <laughs> Likewise, but there are those who certainly are in that world, and yeah. they need to go there first so that eventually maybe you and I will have that yeah. opportunity. I mean, uh, I certainly see uh, professional race teams really getting all over this if this helps them win a few more races or even one more race because of the the dynamics that these wheels will give you for your race car i see that being a winner and yeah I, like i said i see i see race teams jumping all over this if if it, i mean that much that much unsprung weight to shed is huge yeah 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 oh it is and and there is there's one kind of final little challenge that they are um they're kind of going through and it, it is regard to racing and they put these wheels on their race cars and beat them up on the track and and didn't have any problems uh but there is one aspect that they're not 100 percent satisfied with yet but they're getting there and if you look at the the ford shelby gt 350r wheels Mm-hmm. This that OE level carbon wheel, the insides are black. They're not visible carbon, and that's okay. part part of the attractiveness of these wheels is that that visual appeal. You know, they yeah, want it. Sure. And, and what Ford found, and and unfortunately, Forge Line found the same thing, is that there's a very uh, uh, rare situation on a racetrack where a piece of something can get between the caliper and the barrel. And scratch up the carbon. Oh. And Ford solved it by painting a black ceramic coating on the inside of the wheel. Okay. And, and Forge Line doesn't want to do that because they uh-huh. like the way these look. Yeah, they so, look pretty cool. So trying to keep the, the high standard of performance and appearance all mm-hmm. together, you know, that that's something that they're kind of working on because they don't want to just paint the inside of the the thing black yeah you know right and and they found that this occurrence of of getting debris between the caliper and the barrel doesn't really happen on the street you uh-huh. know it's purely under super high intensity race sure. situations so so for the street wheels are fine with it you know but on the race side that's a consideration um hmm. but they also pointed out that on the aluminum wheels for years racers were saying we'll run these things unfinished we don't care we just need the high performance wheel and Ford's was like, yeah, but, but we care. <laughs> we don't want people running around on unfinished wheels. You know, they'll perform the well, same way. That, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about. The, uh, I mean, it's kind of a kind of a departure. But uh, if if somebody has their car in your shop and you're painting it, and they say, well, you know, I, I really don't care how how good the paint looks, just just paint it. Yeah, right. right. But but we care. You right. know, this this is our our name on this, and it right. needs to be right. Yeah, so you so, came, yeah, you came to that. us, yeah, for a reason, and and uh, you buy forge lines, and that that's the the interesting thing about that fifty fifty race versus street market split. I I'm pretty convinced, and and now our audience knows the story. You didn't know the story. I didn't know the story behind that yeah. company. No, I didn't. I had and, no idea. And knowing that story, I want to. I feel, you know, compelled to maybe someday own a set of these wheels because I, I right. like what they're doing, you know. Yeah. They're doing everything in the United States, advancing technology, using, you know, right. tried and true stuff. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they hired us is to help them tell that story. Mm-hmm. 
But even not knowing that story, half their market is going to street people who think they just look cool. <laughs> right? So that right. that's an indicator of how important that finish is. Yeah, and style. I mean, knowing knowing the story now, I want to be an evangelist for Ford Forge Line. I mean, that's just that's just great stuff. Everything they're doing is right. I think right. It, it's it's admirable. Like I said, it's a likable company that you want to see do well. And there are yeah. others. I'm not saying they're the only ones by any stretch. Right. right. There, and that's what I love about this industry is that there are so many people that saw something from racing or from doing whatever they were doing and were fueled by that to make that their career and you want these people to succeed and mm-hmm. these companies um, touching on our last topic of the knockoffs and everything else you know, <laughs> right. they're, they're, they're out there um, but when you see the real deal you know you, you want them yeah you want to support them so I, I don't see knockoff carbon wheels coming around anytime soon though I'll tell you that I'll tell you what if somebody makes a set they're gonna find out right away that it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly my point. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a- another interesting thing was I said, so are we going to see uh, uh, brand extensions from Forge Line? For example, we're going to be seeing forged aluminum door handles and steering wheels and shift balls and stuff. And they said, uh-huh. no. No. All right. We're a racing wheel company. All right. Uh, this is what we do. And I love that, you know, because, yeah. you know, how often do you see, you know, somebody, and again, it's it's an indicator of a privately held company, too. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have an investment group saying, well, you could you could make Forge Line bumpers and, and <laughs> put them on 10,000 Camaros. You know, it's money, money. And, and right. no, 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 no. This is what we do. Right. So that was uh, admirable also. And it, it, it really made me think about yeah. how we do stuff in our shop and how we run yeah. our business. Uh, because everything we do is custom, sure, but it's not as defined. Because for them, it's a size, style, finish, done. Uh-huh. Th- those are options. It's it's every option of a wheel, but it's specific, you know. Yeah, and sure. and I I don't think we can limit our customers to those choices, but maybe we need to look at a few things that are way out of our wheelhouse that we might wheelhouse nice ah, nice <laughs> that are, are, are way off our spectrum and say well maybe we don't need to be doing that because we're better at doing this mm-hmm. you know and, and an example might be you know sometimes you know somebody brings us in a you know a, a car that is kind of a collector kind of an older car but has like some miserable timing problem that's going to take all kinds of diagnostic you know nobody mm-hmm. wants to be doing that in our that, that's more of a mechanic job right you know right but if but if you want you know a fuel injection conversion on it and you want custom metal work uh-huh. that's what we do you know right like say say if that guy who who um had his his dodge Murata restored if he came in and said hey i need to i need it tuned up well it's a Murata. Uh, and we're not really in the tune-up business on well, that kind of a car. But but to him we are, because um, because we did that car. You did the car. I mean, you did the whole resto on it. Yeah, which is which is what you do. But, but at, at the same time, and we joke about that car because we we love the customer, we love the car. Yeah. But we're not in the Murata restoration business. Uh huh. 
I, I don't. I'm yeah. not waking up tomorrow hoping I have a whole parking lot full of Murata's that need to be restored. <laughs> right. I value. I highly value that job. I, like I said, I, I thought it was a mm-hmm. great car. I loved it. It was an example to show people that you don't need you know something super unusual to ha- have a car that means something to somebody, and I, uh-huh. I respect that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but it, it gets a little tricky, you know, because. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not saying we need to turn turn work away that we don't think is cool enough or whatnot. <laughs> but Rod, our sales and marketing director had a great point and he said you need to have your technicians bringing their A game to the stuff that they're passionate about. And if they're working on a, a project that they're not passionate about instead of what they would like to do. So, you know, if, if our lead fabricator is is doing the tune up on the Murata, he isn't doing mm-hmm. what he wants to do. Right. So his passion drops, and then everybody mm-hmm. gets frustrated, right? So uh, Ben, our, our cameraman, while we were at ForgeLine, took some time to talk to the guys running all those machines. And you mm-hmm. might look at these jobs as kind of being repetitious. I mean, you're taking <laughs> aluminum out, putting it in the machine, running the program, taking it out, grab the next one. Uh, especially the, the the grinding guys. I mean, these guys are grinding wheels all day, you know. But every one of them were like, we love this job. We're making oh. something that's going to leave here and go on a racetrack and go win races all over the world. We don't know where it's going to go, you know. Right. And, and yeah. it's got to look awesome. It's got to perform. And the variety is in every wheel is, you know, there's, they're going to make four at a time. So these four and then the next four and the next four. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, to ForgeLine's credit, they, they value their employees and they want to make sure that they're all challenged and that they understand that there's a bigger picture, you know, for what they're doing, yeah. which is, again, admirable. It's, uh, um, it, it sure is. They also recently landed some deals where they're the homologation spec wheel in certain racing series where you that's what you run is forge line wheels really so yeah the the the, um there's a camaro racing series and a a few other there's a mustang deal that you buy the car from from chevrolet for example as a ready-to-run race car you put your graphics and do your tune and whatever but it comes on forge lines and Hmm. and, uh that's an indicator that says yeah they they know what they're doing Uh (laughs) yeah oh yeah spec wheel for a full series yeah Um, that's pretty slick yeah, so it was cool. It was a great experience. Good for them. Yeah, and uh, uh, like I said, I learned a lot. So again, I'm not I'm not here to. Um, they're they're not paying me to say any of this stuff, right? But I I think it's important to share these kind of stories because uh, it really totally. makes you think. Yeah, and it was inspiring. So, right on, man. Good. I'm glad we were able to do that. Yeah, and it's funny because you'll see people who. You know, right away, you put a picture of a car with forged line wheels on it, and they'll be like, oh, those, I, I don't like that style. It, it's too modern looking, or, uh-huh. you know, it, these too, too big, you know, too skinny of a tire. And I get all that. But yeah, I, that's fine. I mean, that wheel choice is, is a completely subjective thing. Correct. Um, but I do think that if that car is supposed to go do something, uh-huh. that all of a sudden that style choice isn't the driving motivator. And if you knew what they were, you might not. You know, you might not have that same opinion. Right. I got you. I got um, you. And don't get me wrong. There is a huge uh, marketplace for cast wheels and for, for lower buck stuff all day long. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. that's what's on my own car. You know, I said mm-hmm. cast aluminum wheels because my 62 Ford's never going to see a road course. So I'm not worried about that <laughs> safety factor. These wheels mm-hmm. basically just they got to be round and they have to look cool. 
you know, and there's that, that's the vast majority of the wheel business. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm fine with that. They're fine with that. Everybody's fine with it. But it's when you start mm-hmm. to do something a little bit more is when you, mm-hmm. you need that, uh, that deal. So, so there you go, man. That's more than you needed to know or want, initially wanted to know about my trip to Ohio. Well, I'm glad I know about it, though. I'll tell you what. It seemed pretty interesting stuff. Really, really cool stuff. Yeah, very much Sounds so. like a great company. You're doing the right thing, and I hope we see a lot more from them. Yep. Well, they'll be 25 years old next year, so they're. I, I, awesome. don't, I don't think they're going away. So Good. Good. All right. Well, I'm... You know, curious to know how, how bad I botched this trivia question. So, did, did it come to you at all throughout no, the, no, the it episode? It didn't. It no? Didn't. Dang it. It didn't. I'm, I'm not that mentally limber anymore, so. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, somebody was trying to teach me something at work the other day, and he was going so fast. And I said, listen, listen, man, my, my brain... <laughs> Is like like a dried up sponge. I mean, you start pouring water on it, it just sheds the water because it can't absorb anything. <laughs> you got to be slow with it. You got to let my brain slowly expand to take in the knowledge. Nice, a dried uh, so, up sponge. Yeah, it's exactly what it's like sometimes. He's just like zipping things at me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You yeah. know how old I am, right? Yes. <laughs> you, right. You got to be cool here. You got to be easy on me. Yeah, I got a little, man. a little smack of that this morning. As a matter of fact, my, uh, my college, uh, my alma mater sends out their alumni newsletter. So mm-hmm. my thing from Illinois State University came in the mail, and it dawned on me that uh, today's college graduates weren't even born when I graduated from college. Oof. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's by, nice. By a couple of years. <laughs> so, and the surprising thing is people say, well, you look so young. You know, you just. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Right. Only, How only the, do you do it? Only the blind have said that. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Our trivia question answer. I asked you what a Mustang in the mid-60s, uh, actually from 65 to 73, they had to do this. What What was it marketed as? And Kevin said the old M1. Yeah, sounds like an wrong. expressway in England, doesn't it? Yes. But um, the act, the the correct answer is the T5. See T5. See, I I told you it's a number letter, and I said TKO. Yeah. You said T1. It's just like T2 or something. Uh, no, I'm like, I, I, oh, I, I did. Oh. I did that. I was trying to hold it together. I said T2. I said Mark II. But I also said TKO. And you, you, you did looked at me. TKO. And, and my brain was getting there because a TKO is a stronger version of the T5 transmission. Exactly. So and I was thinking. I was getting I almost, there. I almost threw a tidbit out there <laughs> to say, think transmission. Think transmission. Yeah. But I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it to you. That's it. The Ford T5. Yep. Darn it. <laughs> yeah, I just ran out across an article about it from that Haggerty put out last year. I'm like, oh, this is pretty interesting stuff. So uh, yeah. I said, it's, there's a trivia question in there, and that's what it's got to be. Yeah, how about that? Well, mm-hmm. I told you. I knew the how and why. I just didn't know the yeah, what. Yeah, yeah, All right. Well, in your case, we mm-hmm. asked about the technology of the auto-dimming headlights uh, right. pioneered by General Motors, eventually adopted by all the domestic manufacturers what year did it come out and the bonus and i'll give you any of the three what was it called what did it change to <laughs> you said 1994 it was the auto high beam dimmer and you said it evolved into the safety dim 
With a T. Oh, that's the worst thing I ever heard in my life. <laughs> for, the, for the thing. Well, so, 1994, you're pretty close. Um, it came out in 1952. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I got to step away from this right now. Holy Jesus. <laughs> uh, but it did appear first on Cadillac, so you were, uh, you were right there. Um, oh, look at me. But Cadillac, Oldsmobile, Pontiac, Buick um, all had this. Uh, okay. and, and initially, it was called the Autronic Eye. Ooh, the Autronic Eye. Yes, and it looked out on the dashboard. It, was, it looked like a War of the Worlds alien thing that, that uh-huh. looked out. And it was a photo sensor that uh, would sense the oncoming light, and it would trigger uh, some vacuum tubes and relays, and it oh, would nice. click down the high beams to low beams. By 1960, well, by 58... Um, there was a sensitivity adjustment because uh, people were driving down these highways at night and a reflective road sign would trigger it. Oh, nice. It would flick the beams on and off. Um, And then eventually they put that sensitivity knob on there. Uh, By 1960, I believe, it became uh, the Guide-Matic. The Guide-Matic. The Guide-Matic. And the Guide-Matic, it was kind of neat. It actually had what they called the Safety Salute. Not T, but the, the, the safety salute, and the safety salute was right before it dimmed. It would it would uh, flash the the lights off, so the oncoming car would know that I understand my high beams are on. I'm going to flick them to the off position and turn the low beams on, so you know that I'm being that courteous. I'm on, that I'm on board here. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, and uh, eventually, it became part of cars today they all do it now you know you don't even notice it uh uh but that's uh that's pretty wild so part also mm-hmm. also part of the uh uh the twilight sentinel package on gm cars which twilight turns sentinel. turns the headlights on at dusk automatically and then off oh in daylight. right 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 yeah, so they got all that stuff together yeah so. mine does that so, I had this uh I had an eighty three Cadillac a long time ago, Sedan Deville, and it kept after you shut the car off, the headlights stayed on Correct. for a period of time. And this is pretty uncommon and probably at least fifty, sixty percent of the time someone would say, Hey buddy, you left your lights on. Right. Yeah. I'm like, no, they'll turn themselves off. It's, it's cool, yeah. man. It's cool. Yeah, and there was a knob on there. You could adjust that delay. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was part of the Twilight Sentinel package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so there you go. So unfortunately, yeah, wrong uh, wrong, wrong, wrong. I think that's correct. <laughs> wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. So good to know yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah. both losers today. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, well, shoot. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we're still still winners, even though we lost. Yeah, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah, yeah. So now I I remember it's T five. Mm-hmm, yep, yep, mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, it's been fun, and uh, I appreciate you uh, listening to my uh, expounding upon the wheel industry. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. I really like I like learning about new uh, new things like that. Compelled to share. It's pretty that. cool. And uh, next time. I also thought you know we'd, we'd give the listeners a little more suspense about the GTO, which we'll hear about more next time. Boom! How about right that? on. Yeah, because there's really not a lot to tell. Well, hey, don't <laughs> ruin it for them. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you have till the next one to get something done. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll get something done this week. Yeah. So uh, be sure to uh, subscribe on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, where else? You could hear us on TuneIn Radio and on the website at v8radio.com. Also, the Facebook page is buzzing with action at V8 Radio. So thanks for uh, for hanging out with us. Uh, as always, keep the sunny, the shiny side up. Hopefully sunny now that it's nice out. Right. And uh, we will talk at you next time on V8 Radio. <laughs>